here we are. I know. It's been a long uh, road, finally getting to the actual recording, the doing. <laughs> yep. So do you want to do an in- do you want to do an intro of any kind or I I kind of almost feel like we need to just kind of say who how this whole thing became uh, how how this whole thing came about because the you and I I mean we've had conversations for a long time. We've talked on the phone, we've talked in person, we have a good chemistry and uh you know, we have kind of this almost like a I want to call it like a brotherly uh relationship because you know mm-hmm. i think yep. you and i are pretty close and uh what did you say one time kindred spirits <laughs> you said that that was your oh, word right okay but it's good words no those it's true right. it's true kindred souls or kindred spirits one of those two things i was probably drinking um but i mean the whole idea that you and i can sit there and wax poetic about just about anything and then it was your brilliant idea to come out and say hey let's 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 do a podcast. And uh, yeah. I think it took more than one mention. I was pretty quick to jump on board as well. And here we are. Yeah, I'm really glad you were because I guess I, the way it sort of started for me was I was listening to podcasts, like a lot of podcasts. And I think you were, you've were you been listening to them as well. And I thought, well, why not actually do my own podcast and kind of was thinking, well, what, what could I do? Could I do a, like an interview style? Cause I've listened to a bunch of different guys like Joe Rogan and, um, these guys, these cortex guys who I think have a really, really good chemistry. And then I, I was thinking about doing something about entrepreneurs. And eventually I, I think talking to you thought, Hey, we have pretty, at least we think pretty good conversations. <laughs> we do. Yeah. And so we we thought, hey, maybe we just do some kind of like buddy podcast or guy podcast and talk about various things. And we both cobbled together a list of possible topics. And I think probably six out of the 10 or five out of the 10 things you wrote down were on, were on my list as well. So here we go. Kindred souls, man. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's jump into it because... We talked about this a lot, you and I, about the whole idea of uh, pro sports and following a team, and what what is it that makes people follow a team, and uh, and then the whole idea of people being so into a team that when they lose, they'll they'll do insane things like cry or you know tear up a jersey because you know somebody got traded and uh, like just ridiculous things like that. And uh, you know one of the things that well, you and I both are from Toronto, from the Toronto area. So, you mm-hmm. know, if you're born and, and raised in the Toronto area, just like if you were born and raised in the Chicago area or the New York area, you would pick a team or a couple of teams that were local and you would follow them. And that's just kind of what you did. It was either given to you by your father who followed the Leafs or, you know, the the Chicago Bears or, uh, you know, the New York Jets or whoever, whatever team, the New York Yankees. And... um at some point, maybe you made a decision to follow a different team, but I think a lot of this gets passed on to you by a parent or an uncle or a family member, and then you just kind of you kind of get into it as a child, and then you become this diehard fan of uh, of a team, and you follow them. Well, see, and I understand that. That's I think where my I don't have any issue with that, and I don't have an issue with it in general, but. Where I get a little bit hung up is is when you talk to people who 
they'll have like four or five teams that are their favorites and they own jerseys, multiple teams. They, some of it's risk management, I guess your team gets knocked out of the playoffs. So you've got another team in the wings to, to, to jump in. I I guess it's just to me strange. And, and even, you know, is it strange because somebody picks five teams to follow? Yeah, and, and how do they know what teams to pick? And are we talking five teams in the same sport? Yeah. Okay. And maybe that's unusual. Maybe I also I admit it's one guy I know who's like this. So. <laughs> okay. What sport is it? Baseball? Hockey. Hockey. Okay. Oh, uh, okay. I uh, see. Hockey, I kind of understand a little bit. Okay. Uh, Why? It, okay. Well, if you're a fan of a game, and I, I think you're a little bit this way with baseball. And I, I like baseball too, and I do follow more than one team. But I guess following is different, a little different than than uh, you know than being a diehard fan of several teams. But are you saying that this guy is a diehard fan of like five different teams? Okay, yeah, I, I'm I, not a diehard yeah. fan of five different teams, but I will I will watch almost any hockey game, and that's because I'm a fan of the sport. Mm. Um, I think the true the same is true for baseball. I would probably watch. In part, any baseball game, almost any baseball game on TV. I don't think I'd watch Milwaukee play uh, San Diego or something like that, you know. But I would probably watch Cardinals play the Cubs. Uh, I'd watch, uh, you know, the Mets play um, the Dodgers or, you know, like any 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 game that doesn't involve a J because uh, we're from the Toronto area. If it's not a Blue Jay game, uh, I would watch it pretty much. Yeah, but you just said you wouldn't watch Milwaukee versus San Diego. Why no. not? I just, I don't know that I've ever. I don't know that I've ever known too many players to play for each team, and I think that may be part of it. So, you know, going back to how we introduced this, talking about being a fan of several teams, I think you're. You may be a fan of a team, but you're a fan of that team because I think you know several players on that team, or you've followed several players from that's mm-hmm. played on that team for years. And as a player has exited, you may you know fall in love with a few other players, and then you you got to follow that player, you got to follow that team that they're on. Maybe that's what happened to this guy. He picked up on a couple of players, and as they moved on, he followed that team that they moved to. I, I don't Could know. Could be. I got. I guess I could just ask him. Yeah, you probably could. We'll bring him on the show. But, okay, so sorry, going back to hockey, I, I really just think that if you're a fan of the sport, if you understand the game, the intricacies of the game that the average fan does not understand, and by the way, I think this happens when you play the game. So, you know, a, a guy like, say, Kevin Barker, right, who's, uh, you know, the color analyst for uh, the Toronto Blue Jays. I mean, he played the game. He is a genuine fan of baseball. And I think he would watch Milwaukee play San Diego uh, if he was there. I don't know. If, he probably watches too much baseball to turn the TV on after he's worked calling a game, you know, to go home and watch Milwaukee play San Diego. But my point is he understands the, the small points of the game, the intricacies when a manager makes a decision to, you know, bring this player in from the bullpen versus another pitcher. You know, why why he would take a player out of a game, you know, at a certain point, why they would pinch hit in a certain point, why they would uh, do a, a, you know, a bunt or a steal at a certain point in the game. 
he understands the game. And so the same for me, it's the same for me with hockey. I understand because I played, I understand the finer points of the game. And I will watch literally almost any hockey team play, uh, any hockey game. If Milwaukee and San Diego had teams in hockey, would you watch them? I might. I might. (laughs) Okay. Well, so I remember when I was thinking about this. First of all, I love baseball, but I struggle to watch non-Blue Jays baseball games unless there's some meaning behind it, like playoffs or a, a good rivalry maybe in the playoff the last week or two of the playoffs and two teams are battling it out. But even then, I won't I won't watch a game like end-to-end or even really for that much. I'll just kind of jump in and see how the score is going, and I might come back, and if I forget, I forget, It's and I'm not that vested. So as much as I love baseball, I really don't – it's really Blue Jays baseball, and I appreciate and respect the game, but I don't – I don't turn on non-Blue Jays games generally and watch them. Okay, so then why are you a fan of just one team? Well, yeah, I guess that comes down to it for me. Why do I follow certain sports teams? I follow the Blue Jays because, yeah, I went to a game with my, my father back in 1982, I think was the first year. I was 10. And uh, then I went to a Leaf game. And I was, I didn't go to a Leaf game till quite late into, like probably 14 maybe, my first Leaf game. And the magic of going and seeing a game at Maple Leaf Gardens, I'll never forget to this day. Walking, and this is always my favorite part of going to a stadium or an arena I've never been to, is the first, the walk through the tunnel into the sta- into the seating area. Right, right, yeah. It, and it goes back to that first time I walked into Maple Leaf Gardens to see a, a Leaf game. It was magical yeah that, magic. that arena yeah absolutely the lighting the music back then when i went it was all organ pretty much oh yeah and it was just had this old old time feel to it so much history and uh and even just the colors of the place like this sort of 1940s 1930s reds and golds and blues and greens but you know just going back to the when I originally thought of this concept, it it was partially multiple teams. I was curious about, like, I understand like NFL teams. Toronto's never had an NFL team. So by nature, if you want to follow NFL football, you could just be a football fan and follow, but it's more fun to follow a specific team, right? But for me, I feel like I have to have some affiliation. Like, for instance, the Belleville Bulls OHL team. I See, that's weird to, to me. I understand your affiliation, yeah, but it's still weird to me. Okay, so it's weird to you. I was I thought you were going to say it's weird to you because who would just pick Belleville in an OHL league to follow the way I would look at somebody, you know, maybe picking Sudbury or um, Sault Ste. Marie. But as soon as I heard that they lived there or had parents that lived there, then I could see it because the only reason I followed the Bulls was because my parents moved to Belleville. Right. That okay, that part makes sense to me. There's no person in their right mind that lives in Toronto or Kingston or Ottawa follows a junior team from another city unless they've either lived there or you know a parent or an uncle or some family member or a girlfriend or whatever lives there, right? So anyway, I so but there are people that do, and it may not be OHL level. It could be a higher level like NHL or Major League Baseball or. Uh, that there are people that pick a team for some reason 
and it becomes their team. I don't know. Maybe it starts with something as simple as the logo or the name or the city and then work backwards from there. Maybe I'm overanalyzing it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's so much that you could say about this. I mean, I don't know why. I, I just looked at the teams that that particular person that you said follows several teams. And I looked at the teams and I went, okay, I know why he follows those teams. There's phenomenal hockey players on those teams. Right. right. Or there have been, is, yeah. Washington's one of his teams. Calgary yeah. was his favorite. Edmonton Oilers, uh, yeah. Calgary Flames. Yeah. You know, they've all had phenomenal players that have either played on their on their teams or have phenomenal players now. So, I I don't know. I mean, now I see the kind of guy that when they when they lose, they will cry. I mean, we saw this um, uh, for the World Cup that was played. Well, I mean, it happens every World Cup, so it doesn't really matter which World Cup you watch. But and you'll see it in every sport. If there's a championship to be played, or if there's a knockout round. I mean, we see this every Christmas at junior hockey. Kids play, there's a knockout round, winner goes on, loser goes home, and uh and yeah, the 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 players that are on that team, they're visibly disappointed. But you've got people in the stands that are literally losing their mind because this team, you know, didn't go on. And I think you and I we have a balanced, and most of the people that we know have like a balanced sort of um, perspective. A balanced, okay, per, perfect word. Balanced perspective. Um, you don't um, you don't freak out when your team loses. You don't cry. You don't tear up a jersey. You don't you know uh, go get super drunk and beat somebody up on the street because you mm-hmm. know like. Or, or, well, I actually, <laughs> I, I, I will admit. And I didn't beat anybody up, but I've I was a rabid OHL like Belleville Bulls fan at one point, and that's actually something I I remember wondering is why do I care not that much about the Leafs' successes and failures, but the Bulls to me I was just so passionate about that if I ever went to see them in another city or something, and I couldn't I could barely handle the the criticism from other fans, like people yelling at my players and, yeah. and that their team being up by a few and, you know, going to, they're going to knock my team out. Like I got pretty emotional, but I think that was partially maturity as well. I mean, that was when I was not a lot younger, but younger, I wasn't 12 where it would maybe be excusable. <laughs> it was more like 30, but <laughs> the, the real, the other theme here is following sports at all grown men on a field playing a sport that is not life or death it doesn't have any impact on on anything really it's it's a bunch of overpaid in a lot of cases people uh that that play this game and i guess it's entertainment but why is that it is it entertainment i guess it's a lot of things but i've talked to friends of mine who've said what's the point of sports profession what's the point of watching a sport like playing it is something else but actually to get to put go out of your way and take time out of your life to watch two teams play to this one person was is pointless well that person clearly doesn't get the superhuman powers that these players have i mean if you're watching professional sports and and it's you know it's football played at the nfl level i mean you're talking about behemoth sized men okay that can move lightning quick, take down guys with thundering hits, and make insanely impossible catches, right? Uh, to pull down uh, like 
To, to What they do is superhuman, okay? The same thing is true for baseball. The same thing is true for NHL. The same thing is true for pretty much any sport at the Olympic level, swimming, diving. I mean, anybody that's at the top of their game, it's pretty amazing to watch. If you can appreciate sport, you can appreciate how it's com- how they compete at the highest level and and watching them um watching them do what they do is it's if you appreciate sport it's breathtaking it's phenomenal you just sit there with your jaw on the ground half the time i have um, a feeling that people who don't follow sports are probably they're not they could never be convinced no they couldn't there's not a chance your 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 reasoning there to this person or to someone else probably would just be would fall on deaf ears. I don't think that they would then be, oh, okay, and then start following it. Not that it's a bad argument, because it's why you or someone else could f- want to follow sports, but I have a feeling people who are in this camp, they never come out. They're always in this camp. They won't, but they'll have the same appreciation for something else. So let's just pick somebody who, you know, for instance, let's just say they like art, okay? They mm-hmm. may hate sports, but you and I might look at, or anybody might, anybody else might look at a, a painting, and they might go, "This is the most incredible thing." And you and I'll look at it and be like, "Whatever," you know, no interest whatsoever, or very little interest. Cars. So why don't you explain why you wanted to talk about this one? I think I was driving in my car um, one day on the way to work, and I was stuck on the highway. We weren't going very quickly, and I just had a look around. I had turned the radio off because I'd gotten tired of listening to the same stuff. And uh, I took a look around. I was looking at all the different people driving to work. And I saw the different kinds of cars. And it's it's funny how the brain works. Because I think we're all conditioned to kind of label people and label things. And, you know, you look at this guy over here and he's driving, uh, uh, you know... A Toyota Camry, let's say, right? And you just kind of say, well, that guy's probably, you know, he's got uh, two kids at home and, you know, he's probably an accountant or, you know, works in sort of a middle management job. And, you know, his wife is either, eh, she, maybe she works part time or she probably doesn't work at all. She's, you know, stays at home. Like, and that's the Toyota Camry look, right? And then there's, uh, you know, then there's the guy that's driving the, um, you know, the pickup truck, whatever brand, right? You're totally gonna go. Uh, that guy's a contractor, right? Or, you know, or something, right? Depends on how big the truck is and what the truck looks like. Because if it doesn't look like a contractor's truck, then it could be a whole bunch of other things. Right. Yeah. If he's got like, uh, you know, the the big wheels on it, right? That and lifts the truck really high. It's probably some kid that's like 22 years old, and uh, you know, he likes to go mudding, right? <laughs> <laughs> Or some forty-five-year-old uh, <laughs> who is still a twenty-two-year-old right, in yeah. his mind. Yeah, yeah. Um, or wanted that when he was twenty-two, couldn't afford it, and now he can, so he bought it. Right. And yeah. there he is. Um, and then you've got you you got people that drive you know sort of fancy cars, right? So you've got you know the Mercedes and the the BMWs, and you look at those people and you think to yourself, okay, if it's an older guy that's in his forties or something, you think, well, that guy's pretty he's probably pretty successful. He's he's worked his way up the ladder. He's probably upper management somewhere, or maybe he owns his own business, or you know something like that. But then the weird part about it is, every once in a while, you'll see like a kid who's twenty four let's say right some 24 year old punk and he's got his gorgeous girlfriend in the in the 
the passenger seat. And you're like, why is this kid driving like a, a Mercedes 550 SE or something? And then you're like, how does that happen? What did this guy, is he, he's, and then immediately he's like, it's two, one of two things. He's either a drug dealer or he's a spoiled, rotten kid, right? So Right, It's it, or it's dad's car. Right. Or, or mom's. So it just it's just funny that when I was sitting in traffic, I was looking at it, I was thinking, oh my gosh, we label everybody, right? And, Absolutely. Uh, and then I thought to myself, well, my car at the time, I had like a, I had a, a VW Passat CC, right? So it was like the, the more sleek version of the Passat, it had the curved roof and it. It was a pretty sporty car and, you know, the, the turbo and everything and the nice leather seats. And I liked the car. It was great. Um, it had a little pep to it. And uh, I honestly, when I drove that car, I felt that people looked at me with a like at least a little bit more respect than they would if I was driving a Toyota Tercel, let's say, mm-hmm. right? Or uh, you know, like a Chevy Cavalier or something, right? But which which are fine. I mean, but the stupid part about it is the cars are the worst investment that you can ever buy. Like they're a complete money dump no matter what. You no matter how good the car is, the second you get into that thing, it starts to die. So I, I I don't. It's it's weird because you're you're buying something that's a depreciating asset, and yet somehow we attach this kind of um, a status symbol to it. It's true. It, it's stupid. So I I find it interesting because yes, you you can make all of these assumptions, which which we do, and sometimes they'll be right, but sometimes they'll be completely wrong. Like seeing somebody in a really expensive car doesn't necessarily mean they can really afford to buy that car but they just That's do true. it anyway and yeah sometimes it'll be the kid with his with his parents car which again is it's an assumption it's a bias we're we're, we're we have a bias about this based on what we're seeing which can be completely wrong but it's still a bias which in a way is is unfortunate because this is this is what we naturally do i guess Probably more so, well, I don't know if it's a human nature thing or whether it's a first world thing. It's probably not just first world because I think there's people in poorer countries that are very concerned about the status and that want to look look good and, and create a certain image. There was a movie called Tin Men, I think. There's a scene in the movie where one of them pulls up in a really fancy car and says, I can't be seen driving around in a, in a shitty car because... People will think I'm a I'm bad at what I do. I need to look successful. <laughs> was that? Uh, I think Billy Bob Thornton was in that too. Oh, maybe. No, that's think, Tin Cup. That's Tin Cup. No, Tin Cup is no Tin Cup is. Um, that's the one. Well, that's Kevin Costner. I'm sorry. I'm thinking of pushing tin. Pushing tin. I might even. There's two. Well, anyway, <laughs> but. It was the first time I sort of saw, heard that reference of, well, if I'm a lawyer and I drive around in a crappy car, people will think I'm I'm a bad lawyer. I don't right. win cases. So who yep. wants to be defended by a guy, a lawyer driving around in a crappy car or an accountant? But then the flip side of that can be, oh, there's a guy that charges too much money. He he's taking. That's where my 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 money is going to end up is in his is in the next car he buys. So one of the thoughts I had around this topic was about kids and uh, driving being a big deal to kids. Right. So you you mentioned driving around in a sports car, 
But I was actually reading an interesting article about about this, and it said that the article was, the gist of it was that the emphasis and interest in cars for the millennial generation has dropped a lot. And a couple of interesting stats, if you wish, if you will. Since 1997, the average number of car, well, in general, cars are, are starting to be used less. The average number of car, van, or motorbike trips made by drivers age 17 to 29 has fallen by 42%. Wait, I don't understand that stat. Are they saying that they don't ride in cars? Drivers. So from drivers aged 17 to 29, the average number of car, van, or motorbike trips made by drivers aged 17 to 29, so they not as a passenger but as a driver, has since 1997 dropped by 42%. So, okay, I still find that confusing. Are they saying that there's just 42% less driving people on the road between the ages of 17 and 29 okay the millennial right kind of that millennial generate that part i think millennials are old i think older than that but what are they 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 like what are they what's their primary mode of transportation well they're they're taking other modes of transportation so they're taking public transit they're getting rides with people they're using uber another stat personal car ownership is following approximately one percent of one percent Per year, a year on year for 17 to 29 year olds. In 2007, 42% of this age group owned a car where they were the main driver. This has fallen to 36%. That is so strange to me. Do you remember being in high school and just pining for a car? Like, I couldn't wait to get my license. And then the next step was like, I got to save every penny I can get in every summer job that I've ever had just so that I could buy some $2,000, you know, piece of crap just so that I could have a car, right? Because if you had a car, it was a status symbol. You had something. Yes. Well, final stat, because I don't want to bore everybody with stats, but the proportion of 17 to 20-year-olds with a full driver's license has fallen from 48% in 1994, so almost 50% of kids in the 17 to 20 age bracket back in 1994 drove drove a car, had a license. How many? What percentage? 50%. 50%. 50% of kids aged 17 to 20 had a license, which sounds low to me, actually. But in 2014... The number was 30%. Wow. That's, and they say... F- that is one heck of a drop. For older millennials, it's not as staggering, but it fell from... seven. This is the 21 to 29-year-old bracket. In 1994, 21 to 29-year-olds, 75% uh, had their license. And it's dropped to 63% as of 2014. So the millennials are the 21 to 29-year-olds in that in there, right? So it's it clearly driving has become less of a, a it's not as important to the to the millennial generation. Well, it's expensive to buy a car. Uh, gas is expensive, and I think that maybe the millennial generation has heard probably their entire life, how much of a depreciating asset and how much a pain in the butt cars are. I don't know. It's 
some of those stats are a little shocking to me, but by the way, these are this is and I'll post the link to this article in the show notes, but this is a UK study, so these are kids in the UK. So maybe North America it would be a little different, but they say the number one reason why millennials are driving less is financial pressure. There you go. It always comes post down to credit money. crunch, post university fees, financial pressure is is the number one reason, and uh, and says even if they love driving, that the financial burden of buying a car in the first place, but even worse, the running costs of running a car. Yeah, there you go. Is 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 the main reason. So, they're they're basically turning to alternative transportation options. Topic three, airplane travel. We've both been on airplanes a lot in the last couple of years. You and I both travel a lot. Maybe you a little bit more, but, uh, well, I don't know. It really depends. Your travel is a little more, uh, you have longer trips. so Longer and, and international. And more international. And crossing time zones. And, yeah. Yeah. But either way, it's still time on an airplane. It's still time in airports. It's still time to see all the different characters and people and yeah. that that cross our paths so yeah you you travel a lot in uh in europe and in asia and i travel a lot in you know throughout canada and the u.s and um yeah i mean we both talked almost every single time one of us is in the airport we will comment about people in the airport people getting on planes people on okay so i have some major pet peeves and i i really don't i try not to complain i mean one of the things that I don't like is <clears throat> when you're standing in line, we've talked about this so many times, there's like that, if you're standing in line, you've, there's always that one person that's, you know, sort of, sta- they're so impatient, you know, and they're standing there and they're looking around for someone else that they can kind of connect with so that they can, you know, <laughs> sort of like, what, can you believe this? Like, could you believe what's going on here? You know, like, the, and, and some people will bite, you know, and, but most people will just continue looking at their phone with their head down and you know they don't want to engage this person um and that that is one of my pet peeves when you're standing in line either at uh you know security or you're trying to pass through customs uh or even when you're waiting to get on the plane um it just drives me absolutely crazy when someone is in that mode Mm. um and that's just that's before you've even gotten on the plane. That's as you're getting into the airport or you're waiting to get on the plane. But I can get past that. I can take a deep breath and I can I can I can handle that. When I get on the plane, the thing that drives me crazier than anything is people that don't understand the whole idea of get your bag in the up in the overhead compartment and sit your butt down as fast as you can. Because you've got 95 people coming in behind you, right? And so those people that, you know, like, oh, should I put my bag over here? Oh, no, it won't fit. Or, like, the people that can't understand spatial awareness. Like, they don't have spatial awareness with their bag. They can't figure out how to get the thing in. So they put it sideways, then they try and turn it this way, and then they, they try to move someone else's bag out of the way. And they have to fight with it until the, you know, the flight attendant comes by and says uh, excuse me I'll, I'll just take that sir I'll, I'll find a spot for it you know if you just want to sit down and everybody else behind them is just sitting there fuming I hate that that just drives me absolutely crazy 
I try to be like the the fast guy too. when it comes to that because I I fully agree. I'm like Mister Efficient. It's like me too. The thing goes up. It's in place. I I go. I sit down immediately. Like it's it's like a a, a well crafted move for me. Right. So that was one of your things. Okay, I got here's my the one I I hate is the the guy sitting next to you who takes his shoes off <laughs> and cro- crosses his feet. Yeah. And the crossed foot is now into your zone almost. Right. Like into your space. Yeah. He's got his foot up on his lap. Yeah. Yeah. I had a guy do that uh sitting not in my uh not in my row, but in the row across the aisle from me. Um, so I was far enough away, but he had no, no socks on. He had, he took his shoes off. He had like flats for men. I don't know what, you know, like they were leather. I don't even know how to, what to call them. And he took his, his shoes off and then he, he had his foot, one foot up on his, on his knee, like guys sit, mm-hmm. right? And, um, and yeah, you could just see his foot. And it was a beat up foot. Like it wasn't a pretty foot. It was like calloused on the bottom and a bit like and he so this is a barefoot oh it was it was terrible ooh, that's yeah it was a barefoot it's yeah uh, that takes it to a next level yeah, yeah it was it was calloused gross. foot too I, I just i don't understand people how they just make themselves at home on a plane you're not at home you're on a plane there's a whole bunch of other people it's a two-hour flight or a four-hour flight yours is a bit different you've got international ones your flights are seven eight ten hours whatever sometimes um I would die, but if somebody did that beside me, I'd be like, "Get your shoe back on your foot, dude. It's not okay. This is not okay." How how about the? You ever had the person in front of you? The hair goes over the back of the seat. <laughs> no, it's, it's I haven't had that overhanging into your space. No, I haven't had that. No, not that. I, well, I mean, a little bit, but usually people are aware. It's it's usually a woman. Women are very they're highly aware of their of their hair usually and uh yeah they they get it i've never had that (laughs) that's funny though (laughs) that's hilarious so (laughs) there's there's so many okay so like air travel to me is one of the most incredible things like you get to watch people be real people uh you get the families that come in they've got the babies or you know they've got the young kids and then there's the older couple that sees that family walk in and they're like you know they smile and they you know they're they're fine they get it cuz they've probably got kids of their own who've grown up and then they've got grandkids so they understand this family right but then there you've got the younger kids like a uh, somebody who's um not younger kids but younger an, a young adult, let's say, like somebody that's in their early twenties or mid twenties, they don't have kids yet. They don't, you know, they might have a girlfriend. They're you know they're going on a vacation or something like that, and they see this family, and you see the eye roll with the kids, and uh, and you've got kids, I've got kids. We know what it's like when they're younger and you're traveling. It's a pain, man. It is like, it's a constant. It's a business trip. It's what it is. Like you're constantly managing the kids, right? You're yeah. you're not on vacation when you've got kids. And uh, as a parent, I could scan the plane and see those people. I recognize those people right away. So already you feel like, oh, and you got to try and shut your kids up as much as possible. Get them in their seat. Give them a coloring book. Turn the TV on. Whatever. Whatever you've got to do. Blanket, pillow. Here, go to sleep. Get the kid occupied or down or something, right? Mm -hmm. So that you don't have to be that family where you've got the crying kids. And then you've got, you know... 
if you go back to before you get on the plane, the self-entitled people that, you know, they think that they belong at the front of the line no matter what. Um, I know a lot of airlines do this. Air Canada does this. United Airlines does this. Uh, they, they board by zones, right? So, and you travel Air Canada a lot. I travel Air Canada a lot. There are a lot of people that don't understand the whole idea that zone one boards first, zone two boards next, and then zone three, four, and five. Zone three is tricky because once they start to board, uh, people will try to sneak in, right? Zone four and five, people will be like, uh, they'll go right up to the counter and they'll just start to, and then, and then the, you know, the people that are taking the tickets, they, or scanning the tickets, they've got to say, oh no, sir, you're, you're not till zone four or five, which pisses everybody off that's behind, right? You know, they're like, oh, come on, man. And you can just see it. Like, it pisses me off when they don't say that. Actually, yeah. When they when they let them through anyway, right? And as and usually after zone one is through and zone two is kind of mostly through, that's when they stop caring. They sort of they're not going to like make a big deal out of it, right? But I think a lot of it has to do with the way they they queue up people. Like if it's one entrance way onto the plane that says. It's basically everybody, but then they rely on the verbal, okay, now everyone from zone one or zone two, then there's no separate zones, especially if you were zone one, this is my biggest, you're a zone one guy who showed up, he's not ready to, he's not there right when the boarding starts, he comes like 10 minutes after boarding, but it's a massive plane. In most international flights, the zone one and zone two will have their own little kind they of do. Yeah. aisles. Even domestic and flights have that. If you're a zone one guy, you can walk up there Anytime. in the middle bordering yep. and they'll pop you through. But sometimes if it's like a small plane, which conceivably would take less time to board anyway, but uh, sometimes whether you show up later or not, you're going to be just forced or you're made to feel like you're jumping the line. Mm-hmm. You know, like you're, and people are looking at you funny. And, and I have a problem with that whole. Yeah, but I'm for I'm in business class, sort of, you know, winding in, sort of thing. I Why hate you? That. Have a I don't want to call it. You fly business class like most of the time. I I don't have a problem with it. I have a problem waving the card, so to oh, speak. Oh, I see. So right, right. if I'm late and there's only one way to go, get on, I hate being the guy that comes up and sort of stands there and, and looks around and hopes the the flight or the the person taking the tickets recognizes oh he's in business class right right i should let him go next i don't like calling attention to it right so i don't get to fly business class very often it happens occasionally it's happened well it's happened a few times but um you know for for the company that i work for often it's you gotta i can choose a better ticket than most i can fly like the you know, like a premium seat, like I can upgrade, but I just can't upgrade to business unless I get upgraded. Um, so I'm often stuck in zone three, and I'm envious of the guy that comes, you know, 15 minutes into boarding and gets to walk up to zone one and wave his ticket and kind of, you know, because they'll wave yeah. him right through, and it's like, oh, man, you know. So anyway, I uh, I am envious of that. I think a lot of people are, and I think that's what, you know, there's that that hate for that person because it's not a genuine hate. It's more like, ugh, I hate you because you get to board because you're a zone one-er, right? And I'm a zone four guy or a zone five, a zone five person, you know, and 
honestly, if I was a zone one person, I think I would wait until the very, very end. Yeah. Why? You're sitting on the plane anyway for a half an hour while everyone else boards. I think it depends. On an international flight... It, it, there's quite a long boarding times are usually quite quite advanced right, yeah like sometimes could be up to an hour yeah yeah pre-boarding so half of the enjoyment of being in business class is actually sitting in your seat like half an hour before the flight goes off because you're in you're settled you're enjoying a, you a perrier or something perseco or perseco yeah perseco the other thing back to your storage bin thing that probably bothers me more than the guy standing in the aisle putting his stuff up there is when I get to my seat and it's the storage bin is full. Oh, I hate that too. Because, you know, somebody that's like 20 rows behind you saw an open spot and stuffed their bag in there. Yeah. I hate that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I'll take it one step further. When this flight attendant comes to say, oh, sir, let me put that in another storage bin for you, as though they're trying to help, and it is helpful, and then they walk it back 12 or 15 rows. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yes. So now, when the plane lands, you're standing there, ready to, like, everyone's that immediate, the unbuckling, as soon as the, the seatbelt light goes on, you get the immediate buckling unlatch. Yep. Everyone stands up, and then I stand up, and I turn around and I look back at, at my bag that is yeah. 15 rows back. And there's no way, unless that flight attendant remembered yeah. to bring it back to me before yeah. or to come over with it, yeah. which is probably not going to no, happen. of course not. Then I'm stuck waiting until everyone gets off so I can walk back to that storage compartment. Yeah. Yeah. That's my, that's a huge one for me. Yeah, I know. Um, I think I've talked to you about this before, but I often pick the same seat on the plane. So I often sit in row 12D, which is when you're flying domestic with Air Canada, it's actually the sixth, no, it's the fifth row, fifth or sixth row, because they do like one, two, three, four, and then they skip and then they go to 12, right? So... Um, or maybe it's one, two, three, four, five, and then they skip and go to 12. It's the very first row after business class or after first class or whatever you want to call it on a domestic flight. So if, and that, and, and this is often, uh, if that row, if the overhead compartment is full, usually the, the first class row in front of me has like an open spot or something and I'll shove my bag in there. Cause Ooh. you know, yeah. And I get some looks sometimes, but I'm like, you know what? Screw you. I'm one row behind you, you know? Like I if it's if it's empty and no one's going to use it yeah. then that's the most important so, thing. So, okay, so is that is that the version is that the self-entitled version of what I hate in other people? Yeah, could be. Yeah. So other people probably are looking at me going, "Look at that guy. What a jerk." Yeah. There def- definitely are, but then again, they they're looking at it through a lens that the lens that they are in, which which may or may not be a realistic lens, but I think it speaks to how we as people do do look at things. Like we don't yeah, see yeah. ourselves in some of these, or we think it's okay to do it. It makes perfect sense to do it, yet the, it would bother us if someone else did it. Yeah. Um, another thing that you and I have talked about is the idea that uh, business travel is not what it's all cracked up to be. Like you. When I first uh, started traveling a lot with my job, I remember thinking, this is great. This is fun. First two, three trips, you're you're happy, you're excited, you're on the road, you're you're working, you know, you're you're getting to travel a little bit. 
after a little while, you start to go, I don't know if I like this as much as I used to. It's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a drag. And I know that people who travel for a living on planes will get that. People that don't think you're crazy. What are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense to me, right? Mm-hmm. You're you're visiting other countries. Well, no, actually I'm not. I'm getting on a plane and I'm traveling somewhere, I'm doing business and then I'm sleeping in a hotel uh, by myself, eating in a hotel sometimes or a restaurant down the road by myself. Um, you know, you just uh, it's it's lonely. It's uh, it can be boring, and you still have to work, right? I mean, I still get emails from my boss saying, "Where's this? I need this now." I, uh, you know, and he, the part of the job that I was hired for is is the travel. So there's no excuse like, "Oh, I'm traveling. I'm on the road." Uh, mm-hmm. there's get your job done, <laughs> right? Well, this is the thing when, uh, when you see, I guess they try to compensate people who travel a lot with some of the comforts like access to the lounge or pre-boarding sooner than other people and other amenities, I guess, like being able to check in at a different counter and it going faster and more people are friendlier. And I'm convinced that the airline crew treat you worse in economy on purpose so that when you ever make it to the the front it'll seem even more uh, it'll seem even better yep so in business class you get treated very well but it's really you're just being treated with respect and if they treated everybody like that then there would be nothing well first of all it'd be impossible to hire enough people to do that secondly what are you doing? What are you waving at me about? <laughs> Have a look at what I just sent you. Okay, I see it. Yeah, not a bad... Well, you can say that out loud. You have to wrap up. I do. Are you drinking? What are you drinking there? Uh, I'm having a little Jameson. It's like a... little Jameson. Jameson? Yeah. I noticed you were getting a little smiley there in the last 15 minutes. Yeah, I poured a three-finger. <laughs> it was nice. uh, It was good. It was good. I had a You need I had a alcohol thing. to do a podcast? No. No, I... I had a hard day. I had uh, it was a difficult day at work. Yeah, yeah, it was good. It was a good a difficult weird, day. I had a weird night. I had a I had a difficult night. Okay, but related to the day. Right. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. yeah. I got an email at three a.m. that was from Europe that was during regular business hours that I debated, and this maybe well, I know we got to wrap it up, but let's maybe wrap up with this. What would you do, or that I have to? encounter and probably get better at dealing with is I did the old I'm expecting news from somebody for a work-related issue Mm. the news is either going to be good news or bad news yep I got up to go to the washroom in the middle of the night dumb dumbly or not don't ever check your phone don't do that I check you can't and I I, I didn't really check it to check for that specific news, but I happened to op- when I opened my phone up, which was dumb, but I saw the email from the person who was going to give me the good or the bad news. And this is here, you, as you know, it's Friday. This was Friday in the middle of the night yeah. uh, here. So the weekend is now coming up. And I'm like, do I open the email? And, and no. I actually took a different approach. I took maybe it's good news and now i'm gonna now i'll have a great weekend (laughs) well not so much 
unfortunately, it wasn't the good news. It was the bad news. And I pretty much tossed and turned for the rest of... I think it was at like 3.30 in the morning. Yep. And, and now my whole weekend is... It's going to be tainted with this. So... But that's another topic. Maybe we can talk about well, that. Well, yeah, that's another. actually pretty good because you, you, I think, struggle a little bit with anxiety sometimes. And uh, mm-hmm. I think, well, we both do. So, you know, that that's one thing we will talk about. Yeah, for sure. absolutely. Oh, for sure. I think that's a great topic. Um, all right. Well, with that, uh, I got to jump. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Good. I'm glad we did this. Yeah, me too. <laughs>